welcome to the Saturday Down South podcast. It is Wednesday, March 28th. I am Connor O'Gara. You already know who he is. He is Chris Marler. Chris, oh my goodness, the lost text from Tennessee. I cannot wait to talk about this. Once I saw this come out on Friday, I almost felt like it was a it was like a ruse because they basically said, okay, what can we get these guys on the SDS podcast to talk about? This right. is it. This is it. And it's, well, it was a ruse. It, it, it was sort of a ruse in a roundabout way. But goodness, I could not believe some of the stuff. It's that the came gift out. that keeps on giving. Like the whole thing. Like it couldn't have lasted longer. Like while it was happening, it was like, and it just got better and better. It's like a book that people always say is better than the movie, even though it's stupid. Oh, it's it just kept getting better and better. It's absolutely true. Let's let's not hate on Harry Potter, a book oh, that's way already. better than the movie. Just saying. You know what? Haven't seen a single Harry Potter, so we're going to leave it out of the Tennessee argument. Either way, I, I mean, I was blown away. I, I guess I wasn't blown away because after their entire like debacle, let's call it what it is, a debacle of like the coaching search, it, and then on top of that, it took another hundred and how many days to take down the Butch Jones picture. Still forgot and about then, that. Yeah, and it's like, you know, hold on. We don't want to move on from this yet, right? Let's live in some more like pity and misery. So let's let's reset here. Tennessee last week settled with former athletic director John Curry, $2.5 million. Not a bad chunk of change to get. And basically what happened is all these texts that came out, that texts and emails that he got during his final days as AD before he was ultimately fired because of, you know, the mismanagement and, and what all went on with, you know, boosters and Philip Fulmer and the involvement and the higher ups at Tennessee. And, you know, that's that's a whole different discussion. But basically what all these texts that came out, there were so many good little tidbits from this. You almost can't believe it. It's like straight out of a you know, like an onion article or something like that. Right. I mean, the thing that everybody kind of wanted to jump onto was uh, the text that Curry exchanged with uh, with Dan Wolkin, USA Today columnist, columnist who's been on this podcast before, in my opinion, he does tremendous work. But in this, you know, the public record gets released and it's kind of a how the sausage gets made moments for journalists. And it was texting back and forth. And Wolkin basically like asked him, like, you know, if Shiana was the guy. And then Curry all but confirmed that. Wolkin sends a smiley face emoji, which... Dad. I've never seen a smiley face emoji in like plain text like that, so that was new for me. But still, this year we've had we've had breaking news from a coaching search from a smiley face emoji mm-hmm. and a Christmas tree. It's great. What, what else could you want? I mean, I think we're getting to the next one's going to be a bitmoji. I think I would hope so. Yeah, or a gif would be nice. A gif would be good. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, that's a good idea. We'll- I mean, so like what what blows me away is like when I was reading this like several times last year for STS, I wrote articles that were like satire based. Like drunk Saban <laughs> or like Saban, just like truth serum, like Saban, like off the cuff, being as honest as he wants. And one was like talking about like all the people, I guess, second guessing his offense. I mean, like, yeah, you know what? We're having open tryouts for offensive coordinator. And then I would get responses like, ain't no way Saban actually wrote this. <laughs> Th- that's what I felt like I was reading. I was like, surely he didn't text Dan Wolk and be like, hey man, can you like help me out here? Yeah. Make me look a little bit better. And that that's a hundred percent what happened. Exactly. So Curry asked him, he said, gonna need some help on the PR and then our people are wacko. And Tennessee fans, you know, just in case they needed another reason to not like John Curry, that gave them all the fuel that they needed. Well, yeah. I mean what they did was pretty was pretty spot on. It was a spot on. At the time, they might have been acting they might have been what was the the line from Santa Claus? lash out irrationally that's exactly what they were doing so 
and like I'm not saying that you know Tennessee fans are bad or they like they should have hired Shiano. That being said, yeah, he wasn't far off. They were pretty upset. Yeah, and it was so the way that this all comes out. Of course, everybody looking back at in hindsight of this is like, well, I mean, we had every reason to be mad at Curry and the fact that he knew that this wasn't necessarily a popular hire, but he still went ahead and did it anyway. So, of course, Tennessee fans right. are going to run with that, and understandably so to a certain extent. I thought it was interesting that not only does that tidbit come out, but you had all these other different parties who are sending Curry emails, and he got like something like 2,200 emails. And even Josh and text, and Josh Dobbs is asking him if – Former, great former Tennessee quarterback. Great in my eyes, maybe right. not as much in Tennessee fans who didn't appreciate him enough. That's a different topic. But <laughs> Josh I think Dobbs, they liked him. I think they liked him more last year than the year before because he wasn't there anymore and they didn't have a quarterback. No, I think they, he, he's their favorite quarterback since Manning. No. That's not a Clawson. Like that under that stipulation. Is he really? I would think so. Yeah. I don't know. Either way. We'll have to pull some Tennessee fans. But Josh Dobbs thought that thought that Gruden was the guy, texted John Curry to find out, you know, can't blame him. Rumor mills a flying. He's a smart guy. That's one of the dumbest things he's ever said. He's a it super was never going to be Gruden. That's a good point. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, but you got to hear it from the horse's mouth. You got to know. Yeah. If he's going to have inside information, just the guy who's, he's probably got people texting him all the time and he, he's got to know too. He's got to be the man with the answer. So Josh Dobbs, I mean, not alone, but maybe the most high profile guy that's a high profile former player that, you know, was right. released asking these questions. The best, though, in my opinion, hands down, was the Brady Hoke text. Oh, oh my, my gosh. Goodness. So, like, the first time I read, like, the whole Curry thing, all I could think of was, like, like where is the time? Like, where does it say the time of the text was? Like, was he – because, like, you guys know me well enough by now. Like, yeah, that's one of my favorite pastimes, baseball and waking up the next morning after a night and be like, oh, no, why'd you do that? Yeah. And, and then, like – I assumed he, maybe, maybe, benefit of the doubt, maybe he had been doing some drinking. I don't know. I don't, I'd like to think not. I'd like to think that that was a completely sober text from Brady Hoke, and that's, and that he texted oh, no, all No, not caps. the Brady Hoke. I mean Curry. Oh, Because, like, Curry. that was uncomfortable enough. Okay. And then Brady Hoke got involved, and then it was like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, how could this get any worse? Like, Brady Hoke comes in here, and he's going he's gonna to help out make it make it a lot worse. Why does Brady Hoke always sound like, he just ran a marathon in his week. Exactly. And you know he didn't. No. Like, you know he didn't. No. No, no he, sa- he sounds like the exact same as OJ's friend from the documentary. It was like, I think OJ killed those people. That's exactly what he sounds like. I think one of OJ's friends just died today. Too soon? Well, I mean, when you bring it up, yeah, yeah that's, that's on you. Like, I don't think anyone else knew that. Yeah, that was Did OJ fault. kill him? Because that's no, a possibility. Well, no, nothing's Gotta be a proven. suspect. OJ's not, not proven killer. All right, we're off the rails. Yeah, Regardless, we Brady Hope... <laughs> You can barely hear him. Like his post game pressers, like it's hard to take him seriously when he sounds like that. Like just constantly winded. Like his hands are above his head, like trying to catch his breath. So he tries to make up for that. I guess that's why he wrote it exactly. all caps. Exactly. So that's that's a good theory. So if you haven't seen this text yet, somehow you apparently haven't been on the internet. But I will read it for you anyways. That's how nice of a guy I am. So I won't do the Brady Hoke voice, but this is all caps. Keep in mind. John, I hope you do know I would like to be your head football coach. I do know the environment we live in and what needs to be done at Tennessee, exclamation point, Hoke wrote, using all capital letters. So that was the text that Hoke sent when the search was going on. And of course, Brady Hoke was the interim coach at Tennessee. Every interim coach in America probably sends the AD a text saying like, hey, I want the job. And especially the way that Hoke went out at Michigan, of course he wants the opportunity to coach 
at a, at a big yeah. time program again. Look what look what Coach O did. I mean, he he was able to convince you know the powers that be that he was the right man for the job, and he got the job. All Brady Hoke is thinking, all I got to do is send one text in all caps and show my passion, and boom, I'll be in. But that I mean, didn't happen. Have you ever been to like a job interview and it's like, you know what? A good thing to do is afterwards, after you bring your resume, you interview well, you talk clearly mm-hmm. and say, you know, like, you know, know your value, like you want the job. Then you have a follow-up email, email, follow-up email. I don't know if he thought maybe, and maybe it would have gotten lost in the mix of all the, the ire and anger from Tennessee wackos. That being said, can you imagine if like, you're like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Like they already shot down Shiano. It's like, who am I going to go to next? And all of a sudden, your phone goes off, and it's an unidentified number, and just in all caps, Brady Hope's like, forget about what I did at Michigan. I'm ready for this opportunity, and I would like the opportunity to have this job. Like, what? No, Brady, absolutely not. I would have loved to have been in a room with John Curry when he got that text. Try and keep a straight face, because you know that at every turn during that coaching search, he was surrounded by important people, and he had to keep a straight face during all this. Reading that text. And all the pressure's on him. It's like, any leads? Well, uh, so Brady Hoke sent me a, a text. You say resume? No, he sent me a, a very loud text, like a, a text message. Super okay. loud. So, yeah. so not only does, does that happen, you know, Brady Hoke, he, he did send the follow-up text, but it just happened to be after Curry was fired. You up? Um, yeah, something. <laughs> W-I-D, John. Oh, man. <laughs> so after Curry's fired... He said, again, in all caps, because that's what Brady Hoke does, apparently. John, very sorry to hear what has happened. This is bull, the bull crap that college football has become. If I can be of any help, please let me know. All caps. He had one period in there. His period and his exclamation point were the only punctuation marks in those two texts combined. I, oh. I pray that Curry just like wrote back, like, oh, new phone, who dis? Or, or like, like did what I always do. I'm like, oh my gosh, I just saw this like two months later. Like, can't believe that. I'm so sorry. I hope you're doing well. And then just block the number. I, I hope that he, he sent him back saying like, thanks Brady. Just a little, just a little like. Yeah, absolutely. Dude. We'll keep you in mind. Thanks. <laughs> thanks BH. I don't know what they call right. Brady Hoke inside the locker room. I know it. In Ann Arbor, they call him. They don't because he's never inside of one. That's true. That's true. Hey, he got a job with the Panthers though. So Brady Hoke bounced back on his feet. Is the mascot doing the mascot thing? No, he's like the I think he's like the assistant defensive line coach or something like that. Assistant defensive but line coach. Maybe he's the regular defensive line coach because I remember having a thought when I heard it. Oh man, Brady Hoke got like an actual like real paying job in the NFL. And then after seeing these texts, I thought to myself, you know how he got it. He sent an all caps text to the owner right oh, yeah. after that job interview and was like, nailed it. I guarantee you, if Hoke was on Bama's staff, that he would be less than an intern. Whatever oh, that would God. be, like summer camp counselor, that's exactly what he would be. Intern Butch Anyway. Intern Butch Jones or ex interim Brady Hoke, who has more, shall I say, juice in the SEC right now? Uh, it's Butch Jones, and that's intern I can't Butch believe Jones. I'm saying this. Yeah, in, intern, intern, like, <laughs> so yeah, my administrative assistant Butch Jones uh, <laughs> is definitely ranked higher on the totem pole than Brady Hoke. Oh, I, I hope Brady bounces back on his feet. A man who did bounce back on his feet after his time in the SEC, Lane Kiffin, was the subject of many, many emails that were sent John Curry's way. So uh, Max Olson of the Athletic. Did the Lord's work, and he went through all of these emails and came up with all of the different names that were in these emails that that Curry got emails and texts that he got over this this right. period that came out um, that are now public record. 
And so of these 2,200 emails, apparently 160 of them were asking for Lane Kiffin to come back to Tennessee. If that's not if that's not the most like fitting thing I've ever heard, I don't know what is. I mean, that's just that's right on the money. That that's means what I that means like ten years from now, ten years from now, we're gonna hear like at some point, at some point, you know what? Things are tough on Rocky Top. It's about time we bring back that trash can. Yep. Oh, absolutely. Because Lane was probably a little bit more hated than the trash can when he left. What a redemption story at Tennessee. Every time. Hey. I mean, if you're Eric Ainge has his own TV show, or I mean, sorry, his own radio show. It's true. They wanted Kiffin to come back. They brought Fulmer back as the AD. I mean, at some point, I'm assuming Derek Dooley will be back. Mm-hmm. Well, spin zone intern Butch Jones. How many years does he have to wait and be an intern at Alabama before he gets offered right. a job at Tennessee? Again? Good gosh, no. what a world we live in. I don't think that's going to happen because I do think that Jeremy Pruitt is the the long term fit there and. The the interesting thing is, so in all those emails, apparently, do you want? Did you see how many of them were for Jeremy Pruitt? Do you have a, a guess after hearing the? I would ones say less than ten. I think it was nine. I think it was. Yeah. I think it was not. Yeah, you're exactly right. And that, of course, means absolutely nothing as to whether or not a guy is going to be a. Those are the smartest coach. people in the entire fan base. They might be. I, Jeremy Pruitt was. Like not, he wasn't the sexy hire, but as you know, you know, being an Alabama guy, you know that you know, Jeremy Pruitt can recruit. That was a great hire. People. Yeah, I mean, he he was a great hire. It's like the eleventh best option that they wanted. Like he was a great hire. Just like like going to like cookout and like settling for like whoever's left last the bar is a great option. Yeah, exactly. Same thing. Cookout or a bar? The litter. Two different things, right? The cookout, like the like the fast food place. Okay. I'm I'm purely talking about drunken mistakes right now, oh, which is gotcha. how I'm going to correlate everything with Tennessee football for only this part. We're looking forward to the future, looking forward. but your past is, oh, yikes. We have to look back. I'm sorry. We just, yeah. it's too good not to. So we'll look forward, though, to a little bit further in the future. This is kind of way in the future, but we got some rat poison, and it's because Alabama, according to Tidesports.com, is in talks with Notre Dame to schedule a home-and-home series with Notre Dame team that Alabama might know a little bit from the 2013 BCS National Championship game, which, of course, prompted Paul Feinbaum to then say, well, I love the matchup because it would be an easy win for Alabama. And who's to say that? How, I mean, how? <laughs> so before the, that BCS game, like not, not just as of recently, this was a, I don't want to say like a bitter rivalry because it wasn't, they didn't play that often, but this is one of the very few schools in like the modern era that Bama had a all-time losing record to. I didn't know. So that. 73, they lost the national championship to him because of a, I believe, third and 23. You remember where Bama had a chance to get the ball. But, I mean, yeah, I've heard about it from my dad, and my grandpa. And they got like a 24-yard gain and like sealed the deal. I'm pretty sure Bama still claimed a national championship that year, regardless. That's what all the cool also, kids were doing back in the day, though. So always. You go back to 66. So think about how this would play out in this day and age. Bama won national championships in 64 and 65. They're undefeated in 66. They finished third because Notre Dame and Michigan State play to a tie and share the national title. But, you know, even going into the 80s, you have like Cornelius Bennett, the sack. It's like one of the most famous plays in Bama history. They they have a decent history and rivalry because of the national championships and like the Catholics first cousins whole thing. But yeah, you know what? I mean, I'm not saying Bama would win necessarily by a lot, but that was a sweet, that was a pretty sweet game. 2012 was a lot of fun. I think, I think people remember that pretty well. And I remember going into it 
as somebody who at the time lived in the Midwest, thinking like, hey, Notre Dame is kind of like Team of Destiny, team that was just getting by on the defense, oh my God. the Monte Teo stuff. And then oh my God. Alabama just took a machete to all of it. And So not being biased, but this is an actual thing that happened. I remember one of my friends worked in the football office at the time, and they had Sick a Brad. team meeting, and it was it was Kirby Smart, the D coordinator, Nussmeyer, who was the offensive coordinator at the time, and Saban. And keep in mind, like, yeah, Notre Dame went 12-0. and They had – who was the quarterback that ended up getting kicked out of school? Wasn't – Some with a G. He was projected to be like – he was only a freshman, but he was going to be a top-10 pick once he, you know, went out in the NFL draft. But, like, I remember, like, watching some of their games, and it was like Everett Golson. Oh, that's right. And he went to Florida State. Yeah, yeah. There was nothing about Notre Dame that was, like, super impressive. Like, they were, like, gutty, and they won, like, with their defense and blah, blah, blah about Manti Teo. He was just, like – Polynesian Tim Tebow. That being said, they won one of their games 19 to 16 in three overtimes. Epic. Almost impossible to do. <laughs> and I remember like my buddy was like in on this meeting and he and like they sat down and and Nussmeyer said, okay, Kirby, like I'm not trying to be arrogant. How many points do you need? Because there's nothing this team has for us. Like there's nothing they can do to stop us. How many points do you need? And like Saban's like, all right, backtrack for a second. <laughs> this is hundred percent true. And he was like, Slow down, like not, you know, like let's not get like ahead of ourselves. He's like, I'm, and they turn on the tape and I was like, oh God, you mean like that tail runs like a four nine? Okay. We'll just run up the middle or throw to Mari Cooper. It was awesome. As somebody that was kicked out of Catholic school in sixth grade, it was awesome. <laughs> and I, I think that if this, if this matchup resurfaced, you know, the difference being that, you know, that matchup of course was, was a national championship. You get a month to prepare a little bit of a different scenario than like doing a home and home which I, I think would just create a different atmosphere and I think would be tremendous yeah. for college football. We saw it last year with Georgia going up to Notre Dame and Georgia fans just took over South Bend. It was unbelievable to see yeah. the amount of red and black that was in that stadium that night. And it's interesting because I think I actually think that Georgia was the motivation behind these negotiations. And I think that yeah, I agree. given what happened to Alabama last year, non-conference play, where you beat up on Florida State. And yeah, I was hyped up as the greatest opener in college football history, but Florida State went completely down the toilet and was a mediocre team the rest of the year. They went wacko. <laughs> That's the word of the day, wacko. Thanks, John Curry. You're right. Um, and then Alabama, meanwhile, even though it scheduled this big you know, non-conference showdown, it still had to like barely get by, and its non-conference resume wasn't good enough for a lot of people because of what happened on a neutral site against Florida State. And I think if you go up to a place like Notre Dame, and if you do what Georgia did, which was get the best win in college football for the first two months of the year, it totally changes your perception. And Georgia, even though it was playing in the weaker division, did not have to face the kind of criticism that Alabama did, even though Alabama had the big non-conference showdown, had you know had the, what was supposed to be the tougher division right. schedule, and it didn't matter. And it was all because Georgia went up to Notre Dame. And I think Saban kind of sees that, and he sees that we can win at Notre Dame. Like we don't need to play right. all these teams at neutral sites. Like we can go, we can play any team anywhere, anytime. It doesn't really matter. So that's kind of along the, the school I mean, thought. I, so going back to like the Georgia Notre Dame game, I think you're 100 percent right. Like I think that's what's behind this. I think I think that's what propelled them throughout the entire season. In oh, my absolutely. Opinion. And and like you keep in mind that same weekend. Oklahoma went to Ohio State mm-hmm. and played. I mean, there were some good games on that weekend, but Oklahoma went to Ohio State and waxed them. I mean, just like put it on them in Columbus. And people, and I'm, maybe it's just because we're down south, like a lot less people remember that as much as they remember what happened in South Bend because it was the whole thing. It was it was 
going up there in droves and taking over like probably what 25 30,000 people in an 80,000 seat least, stadium yeah. just in the entire like half the stadium seemed like it was red you have a freshman quarterback on the road and you beat Notre Dame who's like supposed to be in their return to glory again I mean, it was incredible. And, it was incredible. And the, it was the fact, too, that Notre Dame held up. And Jake Fromm in his first true start. Right. And it was it was it, it set the tone for that season. Absolutely. It was like literally his first start in general because the week before, it wasn't like he had a bunch of time to prep because Eason went down week one. Yeah. Went Eason was the guy. Game, yeah. So, I mean, that being said, I, I don't – I think all this is – the people that are like in an uproar about Bama not playing enough home-and-homes, I mean – This guy. It's not – yeah, you especially, <laughs> because we talked about this earlier, and like this has been a huge debate like on, on social media, and you know the fact that like they don't schedule enough home-and-homes, or they, they do schedule them and they opt out of it and schedule somebody weaker later in the year. Bama's resume, I think, and I'm biased, kind of speaks for itself with like the, the home openers. Like Michigan was a top-10 matchup. Florida State was a top-5 matchup. They played Virginia Tech with like right. two top-10 matchups. I mean, a lot of games like that, and then... That being said, like they don't have as much to gain, right? And that's and that's the reason that Saban has never had to. But the the problem is, and I think that this is becoming a. I actually think that this is becoming a thing. Is that Alabama going to Atlanta or Alabama going to Dallas is stale? It's happened eight yeah. of the last ten years that they've gone to these neutral site games, and it's not who that matters; it's where that matters. Alabama has not gone west of Dallas for a non conference game in the Saban right. era, and if you. They, Alabama's last home and home was Penn State in 2010 and 2011. In 2011, uh, they went up to also State Duke. No, no, Duke was the year before. That was 2010. You're right. Yeah. Damn it. So I mean, yeah, they're supposed I mean, to have Georgia right. Tech. They're supposed to have Georgia Tech, and then Georgia Tech canceled one, and then Alabama canceled the other. But really, like, okay, that was just going to Atlanta. Like that's right. That's Al, that's tough. And I know they, they were supposed to. They were in talks with Michigan State, and then that went away. And then Alabama dropped out of the Michigan State talks because of the college football playoff, and they thought the SEC was going to go to a nine game schedule. And then they okay. said it was for business decisions. I went back and looked up the quote today, and I found that Saban said, like, because he had to, of course, he had to talk about it when they played Michigan State in the college football playoff in 2015, and basically said, like, it was a business decision to to, to punt on the Michigan State series because of this, once, you know, the playoff stuff came out, if we're going to a nine-game conference schedule, I don't want to have to go up there and have, you know, this loaded schedule right. where we're playing, you know, road games in places that are, you know, yeah. contenders and stuff. But now... But I mean, like, I, as a fan... As a fan, I would rather see a home and home. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, it's in like before Saban got there, they they Bama had trips to UCLA, they had trips to Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And I think those were both like back to back, like 2000, 2001, and 2002, 2003. And that was a lot of fun. I mean, they got like their brains beat in every single game, but like that was a lot of fun. And I think now, like, yeah, they, they don't have as much to gain from it, but at the same time, it is stale. Like you think about the teams they've played in Dallas or Atlanta, you have USC, who I don't believe. I think they were ranked maybe twentieth at the time, or maybe they were unranked. But then caught fire at the end of the season and, and right. went to the Rose Bowl and all that stuff. But, but that was later. Bama beat them by forty six. Right. And then you know the the Florida State game winning by seventeen, and like after every game, it's like, oh man, they were they were the third best team in the country, and Bama beat them by two touchdowns. Like at this point, like how do we know how good that is? Exactly. And I think so, that a, a true road win has staying power. And if you know, I think Saban was saw the the fact that, okay, we can benefit from a neutral site game both financially and it's a good win on a resume because we're not just saying like everybody's got to come to Tuscaloosa to play us. So right. it makes it makes Alabama look like, yeah, we're scheduling these big headliners and they are. And Alabama does a way better job than so many other programs. 
And I, I will I will always say that 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 Nick Saban recognized that earlier. I think he his thinking has evolved now to the point where he realizes his team can go up to a place like you know like Notre Dame or like Michigan State, and if they win that game, they're like they're, they've got that built in loss even more so than than other teams. Like if Alabama had lost that Florida State game, you know they don't have a loss to give. And I think that. Right. You know, it just it totally changes the dynamic of the season. And if you look at last year's playoff contenders, so you mentioned Ohio State before. Also, Clemson won the big one one part of a home and home series with Auburn, even though it was a home game. That's still a home and home series. So you had Clemson, you had Oklahoma, and you had Georgia. Right. All three of those teams played big home and home series, and Alabama was left sitting there. Yeah, like what are I we mean, and do? honestly, like there might not be. A, I think Florida's still the worst. Florida, Florida doesn't leave yes. the, their their campus like until October. But I think Georgia is probably the best out of any of the teams in the SEC. I mean, they've they've had in the past Oklahoma State, Arizona State, Colorado. Well, else am I missing? Georgia had they, Clemson. So Georgia hadn't been north of the Mason. Colorado right. was was Georgia's only trip north of the Mason Dixon since going up to Michigan in 1965. Right, and Colorado was like 20 miles north of the Mason. But it's it's also the other part of this that's like that's tough to like turn down outside of not, and not making an excuse for Bama or Saban. But, you know, if you don't have as much to gain from it, the other side of that is these games in Atlanta, you're talking about like the most fertile recruiting ground in the Southeast Mm -hmm. and you're on a national stage and you're getting all this publicity. And And on top of all that, Dallas as well with the recruiting stuff. But on top of all of that, you're also making close to $10 million just Mm -hmm. for playing in the game. And the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. I think it's brought in since the first game against Clemson in Bama Clemson 2008. It's brought in over $1 billion to the city of Atlanta. That was B with a billion. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, you want to take a trip to Des Moines? Or do you want to get – no. You know what? Bama should just play like UCF in the opener and Iowa (laughs) at Iowa. They should do it twice. They should play them twice just to prove a point on the road. That would get so much hype And FAU. It would make a ton of money. Everybody would love to see it. I'm all I'm here for 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 Bama switching to the home and home series, especially if the UCF one happens, because then they'd be coming to Orlando. They're coming to Orlando next year, but that's for again an, a in a real stadium, though. Yeah, so it's like against a, a power five team in a real stadium. But yeah, oh well. Oh well, they would play. They would play UCF at Citrus Bowl. They wouldn't play at UCF Stadium. I don't think. So I guess over it. Be. Next topic. I don't even want to talk about UCF. I'm not getting riled. <laughs> all right. Up this well, week. let's talk about this then. You lost a bet. You lost a bet because last week you said one of the dumbest things I've ever heard you say. And that's, ever, and that's saying ever. something. Yeah. Um, so last week, we're going to talk briefly about the NCAA tournament here. We'll take a break from, from football for a second because this is just too good. We have to talk about this. So last week on this very podcast, you said, and I quote, if Michigan makes it to the Final Four, I'll pull oh a Jim Harbaugh and go out in the city of Atlanta with some pleated khakis and no shirt and throw the football around in Piedmont Park. All you said was if Michigan makes it to the Final Four. It was a dumb. It was so dumb. It was a terrible. First of all, I'm bet. not. I'm not in physical shape to do that. So I don't know where what I was thinking about. On top of that, I don't even know. Like, who's going to want to go throw the football at me shirtless? Like, how do I even? Like, I'm going to have to ask Brady Hoke. <laughs> I mean, like, hey Brady, any chance you want to take your shirt off and go run around the park with me? I, yeah. So I'm going to have to make this happen at some point this week. Uh, I haven't eaten today in preparation for it. It's diet time. I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, highlight, though, of the week, I met Sister Jean. 
Yes, yeah. So you snapped a selfie. Well, I think you can still call it a selfie because she was in the background. She called it a selfie. A selfie. Yeah, no, it's, it was a selfie. What She wasn't posing per se, if I'm not mistaken. But if you haven't seen Okay, that, you don't say it like that. But yeah, you're right. No, she was she was in the back. You were like, what, on a street corner with her in Atlanta? No, or? so I was in, in a CNN center downtown. It's like a mile and a half from me, like where I live. So I, I go down there because, you know, Thursday all the games are going on. And like Kentucky fans took over, Catlanta, all that. So... I'm like walking from Chick-fil-A, nice. not with a grilled sandwich because I was feeling pretty confident about my chances with Michigan not making it. And I look over and I'm like, oh my God, there's Sister Jean. And she's wearing her same jacket, everything. And I walk up and I was like, she's like a security detail. Of course. And I was like, hey, I'm sure you guys get this a lot. And he just looks at me and he's like, we're not doing pictures right now. I was like, oh yeah, of course. I was. That's not what I was going to ask. I was just... <laughs> To see if you knew where the local, like the closest Marta was, whatever. And I look over at her. I was like, I just want to let you know, you guys are my favorite. (laughs) Couldn't have sound worse. And I was like, uh, you know, my girlfriend loves you. Like, this is the only reason, like, she's watching March Madness. So thank you for that. And she was like, get a selfie. (laughs) So I did. And uh, her and I were like, we were locked into the selfie. Everyone else around couldn't have been, like, less enthusiastic about me being there. But it was great. I met Sister Jean. That's pretty awesome. So, did you tell her what you said on last or two podcasts ago about if you're if she was single that you would be interested, or did you? Leave I mean, that off the table? I didn't want to throw that out there. Yeah, because I'd already been shut down just for a picture, so right. I don't want to be like. By the way, if you want to date Sister Jean, like I know what so, you're playing nearby. Yeah, it's right here. I just left there. We can go right back. You're gonna do double time. She's for still bay though. She's still bay. Oh yeah, absolutely. Sister Jean is still. Doing her thing, going on to the Final Four, Loyola, Chicago, SEC left out of the Elite Eight. Actually, the aforementioned Kentucky, Catalana thing didn't work out for once. And yeah, needless to say, disappointing end to the NCAA tournament for the SEC. But like, not that crazy considering the year that was. Right. I I would have bet anything that Kentucky would have advanced with the way that bracket was set up. I I, I mean. And I got to hand to their fans because they came out in full force. And oh, their fans are incredible. I'll never deny that. It was awesome. And they weren't like super arrogant. Like, I mean, a couple of them were like, yeah, like I'm going to the final four. But like everyone thought they were going to the final four. How could you? We did too. But, I mean, I said last week that if you pick anybody other than Kentucky to go to the final four, you're a contrarian. So I was right. Wrong. And so they lose the first game. Then I was like, oh, that sucks. Like, that's terrible. Mm-hmm. They stayed in town the whole weekend. Did they really? Like, yeah. Still I mean, revving their blue. Yeah. I, I can't. I mean, no. That. I would have left immediately. I would have left like as soon as as soon as we lost. Probably like like halfway through, like the, the second half. I would have been mad. But they were great, man. Their fans were. It was really impressive. Yeah, I mean, it's it's unfortunate that we're not going to get to see some of these SEC teams that we've been following pretty closely make a run into the Final Four. But the Final Four is all sorts of intriguing. I am excited to see it. Do you have any revised predictions? Because you had Kansas winning it all, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yeah. So I have Kansas and Nova. I think Nova's going to win it all. I want, I really want to pull for Loyola because of the underdog and your bay. Yes, that's true. But I had one conversation that was unsettling with a Loyola fan, and I was like, "Man, you guys look great! Congratulations, it's awesome!" Because everyone's pulling for him, and I was like, "Man, you guys are hitting so many threes! Like it's tough to like take it as a Bama fan." I saw like what Nova did to us. Tough to beat a team when they're on fire like that from three. And he was like, his entire attitude changed, and he goes, "Bama shouldn't even been in the tournament." I was like, "Well, that's, all right, that's uncalled for, but okay." <laughs> And so I was like, well, they had like this, 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 and he just was not having it. And he goes, listen, I'm going to tell you right now, Cusway goes, I don't give a blank about anything having to do with the SEC. And I was like, all right, well, enjoy your stay in Atlanta and enjoy getting your brains beat in by Michigan. So go blue. I'm not going to be wearing a shirt pretty much all weekend. 
Yeah. Sorry, Sister Jean. Yeah, you love Michigan now. You're all over the bandwagon. Well, just for that one random Loyola fan, we'll get back to the SEC because we know he's listening. He's listening. He, yeah, he no likes doubt. the SEC secretly and he wants to listen to some SDS pod. So one of the things that I've I've been kind of interested in following during this during the spring is is South Carolina and this offensive progression with Jake Bentley. They pretty much clean house with their offensive staff. Brian McClendon comes in, uh, Kurt Roper's out, Dan Warner, former Ole Miss offensive coordinator slash Alabama analyst, well, above Butch Jones, I guess, technically in title. He's the Kurt Roper. Yeah. Kurt Roper, or no, not Kurt Roper, but Dan Warner is the new quarterback's coach. So there was a quote today from Tom, from Tom Luganville, ESPN's Tom Luganville, that came out, and he was he compared the speed of this South Carolina offense to the old school Chip Kelly Oregon offense, and that's how up tempo it is. I like that, and I'm like, whoa! So we're we're South Carolina plays its spring game today, or not today? I, I shouldn't say that. Saturday they play Saturday. I'm three days ahead already. They play on Saturday, and like I, I'm just kind of wondering, are we going to see this completely different South Carolina offense, and with Jake Bentley in it, is this going to be like a night and day thing? Like I have no idea. Based on that quote, it kind of sounds like it. I mean. It'll be interesting either way. I think like when you have like a player like Debo Samuel that can do so many things in your offense and they have to, I mean, I guess they're in what year three of Muschamp. So yeah, like this is like, you know, pretty much crap or get off the pot time for him. Like I I think it'll be very weird to see a fast paced up tempo Muschamp team. That that whole sentence just doesn't feel it, right. It, yeah, you, I could tell that that was strain on your face. Yeah, you I didn't like that at all. Yeah. But I mean, like with like the the kid they're bringing in, like the freshman quarterback. Like I watched some of him at the Elite Eleven. He was, I mean, his accuracy has to improve, but some of the stuff he can do and like some of the plays he can create with his feet and just out of the pocket. Yeah, he's gonna be dangerous. You can't keep him off the field, even though you have Bentley. So hopefully they'll be able to complement each other. But I mean, yeah, I, mean, I guess you know they have to go with that rugged schedule. The SEC East. It's going to be just a track meet with them in Mizzou. Yeah. To carry on joiners, the the dual dual threat freshman quarterback who comes in with a lot a lot of hype. I believe he was the number nine dual threat quarterback in the country. And Dan Werner had an interesting comment last week about uh, his involvement and basically said like, yeah, like I'd be open to seeing have like having a package with with him where yeah. he kind of gets some playing time and maybe South Carolina does a little bit of the Jalen Hurts the Jalen Hurts and Tua thing last year where. Tua would come into these games like against Tennessee, for example, where he came in early in the second half and earlier than a typical backup comes in. But just just to get him those those increased reps where he can still throw the ball and it's not like, you know, you're pouring salt in the wound by throwing the ball. So I think unless it's Vanderbilt and they deserve it. So, yeah, that was yikes. It's on you, Wolken. Yeah, you could have thrown the ball uh, probably in the first quarter and that would have been running up the score against Vanderbilt. I think like the the biggest thing for for Muschamp is the fact that like, and they're they're a surprisingly good football team. Like they're ahead of schedule of where they should be, but well, they also still year. don't have like yeah, they also still don't have a lot of expectations on on them from not only their fan base but anyone else. So you know they could be a team that I think could like I, I would not assume they would just like hover around nine wins again and go unnoticed. But I mean that's going to be what pretty much a two team race in the in the East. Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, barring a, a drastic drastic turnaround from a Florida or a Tennessee, which I don't see in the cards this year. Now, if we're talking year two, year three, I think that's a different. I think that's a different conversation, but I think you're right. I think that South Carolina is still the best competition for Georgia right. in the division. And last year, who knows what could have happened had Debo Samuel stayed healthy. That was a really right. good team 
early on in the season with him on the field, and he was one of the best players in college football if he can stay healthy, though. I mean, that's always yeah. been a big gift with him. this is still the same team that put up 15 total points against Tennessee. Oh, yeah. I mean, so that's the other thing. Like, as much as I want to say, yeah, South Carolina is going to be a legit contender in the SEC, blah, 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 this new offense. Why do you want to say that? What? Wait, why do you want to say that? Like, okay, so just, just, to, just to mix things up, and because it's boring if we just say, like, yeah, Georgia's going to run away with the division, and it's gonna yeah. But be... also, I could be like, yeah, the Easter Bunny is like coming by to hang out this week with me and Brady Hoke. Throw the football around shirtless. That's not real. Wait, no offense, Carolina. Would the Easter Bunny be shirtless too? I mean, I don't think he they can wear shirts. Right, bunnies don't like to do stuff like that. I'll tell you that much. That's true. Wait, how do you yeah. know that? Um, I've never seen a nice Easter Bunny. Just gonna throw it out there. That's why every single like picture you see with anyone's kids, like they're all terrified oh, yeah. and screaming. Yeah. Moving forward, <laughs> out of Easter Bunny talk. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to transition us over to something I'm pretty excited about. Second chances. You can't see it, but on my paper it says SEC in all caps. Mm-hmm. Second chances. You get the, it's a That's little good. pun. That's good. Johnny Manziel had a pro day. Yes. Another pro which day. Which is very ironic. Yeah. Yeah. So Johnny Manziel got to throw at San Diego's pro day last week. And that was just sort of a, an impromptu thing. He's working out in LA and it was like he got a, he got an invite to be able to go. And I think he, he probably reached out to their people. Johnny Manziel is it's comeback season, as we know. We've talked about on this podcast before, and he's trying to work his way back. And so, it was it was a pretty cool moment last week, in my opinion, at least. And it was a little, just such a little soundbite. But Jimbo Fisher, first practice of the spring, I believe it was last Friday, and a reporter asked him, like, "Hey, Johnny Manziel threw out or threw at at out at like San Diego today. You know, would you be open to him coming back and, and throwing at your pro day next week?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, absolutely." Like. He's, he's welcome to, to come on down and, and throw the ball. Like, yeah, sure. Yeah. And it was just like, dang, like, okay, Jimbo, Jimbo kind of gets it, in my opinion. And to bring a back to bring a guy back who's been through what Johnny Manziel has been through said a lot. Like to me, that he he's not gonna push away a guy who has meant so much to this program, it still means a lot right. to this fan base and is doing the right things right now to get back on the right track. And right. You know, by all means, it looks like it went really well today. He said and did all the right things. I, I believe one reporter had like he had a, a very like I can't remember the word he used, but basically it was like you wouldn't have even known that Johnny Manziel walked in the door. Like he was just you know a regular guy like walking a hoodie, but didn't have his big entourage with him, and you right. know, he was just like another probably guy a good look. There. Yeah, I mean, I was I was mainly blown away at the fact that all thirty two NFL teams showed up. That's pretty standard, though. I mean, I no, think it's not. Absolutely not. I think they all were all getting... 32 teams, you know, to watch somebody that's already been drafted well, they, and I, been out of the league. So that's the thing is like, I don't know how much they're watching him as much as there's no real numbers to show like how many of those teams were there for Manziel, how many of those teams right. were there for Christian Kirk, like, and all God, the other I hope the Browns take him number one overall. Oh, gosh. I, the two things I hope most come out of this is because this is what like kind of pissed me off about the Manziel thing. And I, you know, this isn't going to be a thing about morals, but like, we celebrate it with like people in the past, like Stabler and 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 Namath and stuff like that. And then now, since he's like constantly under a microscope, and you can see everything he's doing with social media and all that kind of stuff, now he's like victimized or not victimized, but, like vilified as like this terrible, you know, has been like going off like you know the deep end, all this crazy irresponsible stuff. But he's pretty much, I mean, he's a kid, still twenty five. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's twenty five years old. And I was very happy to see A&M like, welcome him back because what he did for that program, regardless of his own personal bouts Incredible. and demons, he won a Heisman. And that I will, I will say this. We talked about the Bama-Notre Dame game earlier, like from 2012. 
that year at the end of the season, A&M was the best team in the country. Yeah. There was not a team that would have beat, beat A&M. Bama didn't. I mean, and they just crushed everyone like for like the rest of the season. I, I hope he gets it together. I would love to see him play again because I actually think he could play. It's not like a Tebow thing. Right. I, I, I think he could actually play. Yeah, I, and it kind of ushered him into the beginning of the SEC era for Texas A&M. And that's kind of an overlooked thing with all that he did. But the transition that A&M went through, that, that could have been a really tough thing. And A&M could have all of a sudden just gone to mediocrity had Johnny right. Manziel not been Johnny Manziel. And Kevin Sumlin, of course, was pretty grateful to have a guy like Johnny Manziel yeah. be able to just, oh, take on all these new opponents and doesn't doesn't even matter. So I, I love the fact that Texas A&M is, is treating him like this and giving him a chance to to rebuild himself because it's about actions and it's about what you say. And so much of this stuff that we've talked about with Johnny Manziel is, is, is attitude-based. And he finally appears to have gotten the, I don't want to get preachy here, but the, the come to Jesus moment where he, he realizes like, I have completely messed up in my life. And right. in, order to, in order to have all of these incredible things happen to me again, these are the things that I need to do to, to get back and have any ounce of a chance of getting there. And what I thought was interesting today, so like the, the posts, you know, the interviews that he did afterwards, of course people are going to interview him. He's Johnny Manziel. But he's like, this, this day isn't about me. It's about like all these other guys who oh, are okay, here. Oh, okay, Johnny. Okay. No, yeah. no, no. I actually, like he came off incredibly genuine in that saying like, like look at what like Christian Kirk is out here doing and like look, look what this quarterback is out here doing. And he, and he took that time to talk about all these other guys and didn't want to talk about himself. And to me, that that in itself shows some maturity that he's getting to a point where it doesn't need to be all about him. He doesn't need to be in the spotlight all the time. And he's finally realizing that like none of that's going to do him any good. He's got he's to do the right things, say the right things in order for somebody to really believe that he's changed. What a cool chance to, to learn from literally the same experience you've already gone through once. Wow. And then just like the only playbook is like, hey, do the opposite of everything you did before. Like that was not good. Uh, that being said, do you think he sent any follow-up texts to those teams in all caps Ooh, about wanting to play for them? That's a good question. I, I know he, I know so. for a fact he sent, he sent a text to, to Jerry Jones during the draft because he'd like fallen down like where like they had a chance to take him. And he was like, Take me at 16. Let's set the world on fire, which I literally think is what would have happened if Jerry Jones took him. Instead, they took Zach Martin, the guard. It's a much better decision. Build that offensive line. But can you imagine Manziel and Jones? Jones would be in rehab too. Yeah, yeah, that would have been combustible. That would have been real bad. Who knows? Awesome. I mean, then Zach wouldn't have happened. And, oh, man. It's, it would have happened, yeah. I mean, he would have been oh, he probably he would have been out of the league faster. Yeah, probably. All right, we got to focus again. Yeah, we got to focus. I, I was thinking about the possibility of like so, – so I had this little thought in my head about Manziel throwing to Christian Kirk, and I was like, dang, that would be, that would be crazy to watch a, a duo like that who could make plays all over the field and like – Like him thought, and Mike Evans? Yeah, no, no, no. I'm I'm saying in addition to uh, Mike Evans is incredible, and obviously Johnny Johnny Manziel did special things. But I just thought of the duo of Manziel and Kirk at at A and M, and how deadly of a duo like it would have been to, to watch them run all over the field together and make plays. Like, I mean, like yeah, they had Mike be, Evans. I know they had Mike Evans. I'm saying you can have more than one receiver and still be really fun to watch. Not in Alabama, you can't. So I don't, I don't, that Ooh. seems like a foreign concept. Just saying. Shout out. Calvin can you imagine Ridley. him and Calvin Ridley. <laughs> Man, good God. All right, my take just got crapped on, and deservedly so. Yeah, that's that's bad. Well, we were talking about your physical physique earlier. Oh, God. We're going to call this Do You Even Lift, Bro? And I preface this by saying, when I saw this photo, 
I got pretty fired up and I was like, dang, like that's, that's impressive. So Elijah Holyfield, Georgia running back, there's a photo that went viral of him where he looked absolutely jacked. And yeah. it was, it was like, oh my God, like this guy looks like he's a bodybuilder. I mean, that kind of jacked, like just doing, taking a handoff in spring practice. And everybody's like, holy cow, like this guy put on like 30 pounds of muscle in the last two months. Like this is crazy, blah, blah, blah. His right. biceps looked bigger than most people's thighs. And it turns out that the photo was photoshopped. Logan Booker took the original photo. He's with WGAU. Who photoshops a photo of a guy who's already jacked to make him look more jacked? Like, why? I don't get it. I mean, yeah, that's a good point. That being said, like, when's the last time Georgia's had a running back that wasn't, like, in the most elite, ridiculous shape in the country? It is crazy. I don't know what they feed him down there. It's amazing. Yeah. I live in the state. I'm not getting any of that. You are not getting that. No. A lot of gluten for me. I think I think it's a gluten thing. It's definitely I think that's what it is. I've just been bloating for the past couple of years. Regardless, <laughs> I mean, like I I remember like the bar I used to work at. Evander was a regular. He would come in all the time. Evander, unbelievably Holyfield, nice guy. father of yeah. Elijah, yeah, all that stuff. And he was still in incredible shape. Yeah, that man. Uh, that man could still push some people around. Had a lot of kids too. Had a lot of kids. I'm sure there are Some a lot would of say kids. too many. Some would say too many kids. But not surprising, though. Like, if you would have predicted 20 years ago that, okay, he's going to have a kid who's, like, in incredible shape and he's going to be a well, great yeah. athlete. I mean, he obviously. He played his odds. Know, I mean, like, one out of 13, thing. like, it's oh, pretty yeah. much smart move. That's what yeah. I do with scratch-offs. <laughs> that explains so much. Exactly. No, I, I, was, I was impressed. But, like, I, I almost, the same way we talked about, like, it's gotten stale almost with, I guess, like the Bama thing and like Dallas and Atlanta. I almost feel that way about Georgia running backs because like yeah. every single one they get, Gurley was a monster. Mm-hmm. Moreno was incredible. Made out with my ex-girlfriend. We don't have to talk about it. Sick brag. That's, no, it's not a sick brag. It's what we broke up. Anyway. <laughs> but like even after him, like like Chubb. Remember like Chubb was like a, a sprinter oh, in, in high school. His legs just, were like just tree trunks. The picture, the best picture of all time, and it wasn't Photoshopped, was him like warming up, I guess, like by like doing like knee tucks to his chest before some high school track meet and his feet were like at the shoulders of every other person he was running against. Oh my gosh, that's not fair. No, it's not. Yeah. I mean, I, looking if at only that one photo, of them could play DB and like learn what a cover two was. <laughs> that is way too soon for Georgia fans. Yeah, I'm sure they're not too happy with you. I'm looking forward to Elijah Holyfield, like actually getting involved in this offense. He's kind of the forgotten man in this backfield. He shouldn't be. I mean, he's, you know, last year in, He's still got 50 carries, 293 yards. But he's kind of the forgotten man because everybody expects DeAndre Swift to develop into this Heisman caliber running back. Everybody's excited about the five stars, Amir White, even though he's coming off the torn ACL. I think there's still a good opportunity for Elijah Holyfield to play, even if he doesn't get as big as what he was in the Photoshop picture. Agreed. And plus, the good news for him, not only does he have good genes, but in this sport, he gets to wear a helmet. So there's no chance his ear is going to get bitten off by somebody. Ooh, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. People might forget that Elijah, that uh, Evander Holyfield uh, got part of his ear bit off by. I don't think anybody would forget that. I think that's pretty much the one thing they always think about with him. Mike Tyson. Um, So what I want to transition to. Oh, and by the way, did you see Mac Wilson? What he tweeted? Somebody tweeted like, yeah, who wants to go one on one with Elijah Holyfield? And Mac Wilson tweeted like, raise his hand in class, dot, dot, hand emoji. So. Yeah, well, thank God, because that that makes one of us. He's also lost like 15 pounds, so there's that. 
We know way too much about the bodies of these 19-year-old kids that we don't personally know. I know. Let's talk best bodies in the history of college football real quick. Cliff Kingsbury, done. Wow, I didn't think you were going to go there right off the hip. That's Right off the bat. Wow. Him and Herschel. It's not even close. Yeah. No, that's pretty good. Yeah, Herschel is. I mean, that's that's all time. You can't really compete with that. Bo Jackson, got to be thrown in there. I don't yeah. know if Bo Jackson... Maybe maybe I shouldn't say that. It's not as much like a body thing. It's just like he's one of those guys that because I don't even think he really liked to train that much. That's the crazy thing about about Bo is that he was so physically gifted. Like he he hated training. Like he wouldn't right. he wouldn't want to do practicing. He wasn't into like lifting weights really. And he just like could show up and do all those things, but still had an incredible body. I've been wearing an elbow sleeve on my my arm for most of the day because I somehow injured myself literally getting up from the bed on Saturday. To go lay down on the couch. That's how I was starting my day. I got up. I got up oh from gosh. being horizontal and then went horizontal again and injured myself. And Bo Jackson would be like, I'm going to go run up this mountain, y'all. This counts. What? Like, that's, I, I got to stretch for at least like 28 minutes before we do that, before I get on this elliptical for 12 minutes. You are a long ways away from having one of the best bodies in the history of college football. Well, I don't know how you say it like that. I mean, yeah, when you compare it to Bo Jackson, it's not. Okay, it's messed you, up. You and Trent Richardson walk into the weight room. Who's and who, hug? Who's turning more heads? Who's turning more heads? This, these are unfair. These are unfair <laughs> comparisons. Me and Brady Hoke Did you walk say in. You saw Boom. Trent Richardson in, in high school once. Trent, oh, okay. Trent Richardson in fight. in high school. The most impressive thing I think I've ever heard. And I probably blew up my mind. Wasn't that great? But as a senior in high school, he was second in the state of Florida in the two A division in the hundred meter dash. And was also second in the 275 pound division for powerlifting. Right, pretty standard. And was like dead last in terms of like finding out where the hole was in preseason NFL like two years ago. Oh man, he's trying but, to make a comeback. Yeah, who's not? I am too. Look at me. Me and yeah, Trent walk into a room. Who's who's turning more heads? Depends on what room it is. I'm assuming <laughs> it's probably me. Two more I want to throw out for best bodies in the history of college football. The Boz got to be up there. Shout no, out Brian Boz. Yeah, Brian Boz was yoked. Well. Steroids and steroids, but yeah, but he's been on yeah, the Jose Canseco had a great body. That's true. That's true. Hard work pays off. Speaking of steroids, SEC, Leron Landry. There's a oh, guy who was yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, yeah, that guy, that guy's okay. So, like, all the photoshopped pictures of, of Elijah Holy, the whole the, the photoshop picture of Elijah Holyfield, I thought immediately of Leron Landry because every picture that guy's taken in the last five years has looked photoshopped and he's been. He had he he had three failed drug tests, I think, in the NFL, and then just got like kicked out of the league because yeah. Well, I mean, and they were not like fun drugs; they were like they were like the the powerlifting drugs. Yeah, it, it showed. Needless to say. Yeah, I would say that. I would say um, Javon Curse. Oh, Javon Curse. That's good too. That's good. I would say Tim Tebow. Ends. A lot of defensive ends that would be good. Yeah, good for those are those guys are freaks. Tight ends, defensive ends. I have no idea how they come to exist. They're, they're like human being unicorns. I mean, I, I have no idea how a human being can be like six, six and like two fifty and just sculpted like that blows my mind. It happens every day, Connor it happens every day. Yeah. You should watch the NBA, man. Your mind would be blown. Oh my gosh. That's, well, two fifty. That's the other thing. Like that's why LeBron is such a freak at six, eight, yeah. two fifty, whatever he is. So just saying I'll watch the NBA one day. So and maybe I'll watch the NFL one day too. That's a nice little transition to say, are it might mean too much this week has a has, it has to do with the NFL and stick with me on this one. So speaking of LSU, Ron Landry, yes, Jarvis Landry is lobbying for Odell Beckham Jr., his former LSU teammate, to come to Cleveland. And I say it might mean too much because 
how much does it mean to you to reunite with your college teammate, your SEC college teammate, if it means going to Cleveland? This would be like if you're like, hey, we have extra homework and you get to do a group project. And so I was like, oh my gosh, me, me and him, me and Jarvis. <laughs> and I was like, no, dude, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want extra homework. I don't want to go to Cleveland. He was like, oh, it'll be so much fun. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, now I'm here in Cleveland. That sounds awful. That's not a good friend. That is not a good friend. No, he threw out like three tweets or something, and they got a ton of traction on Twitter. Like, I think one of those tweets, his first tweet, I want to say got like 22,000 retweets and 53,000 likes or something for Odell Beckham to go to Cleveland. It's because there's no jobs in Cleveland. Everyone's just hanging out on their phone. Yeah, I... I know that Odell Beckham is kind of in a sticky situation right now with the Giants. Maybe some of it his own doing, but man, if you got, I would love to see him like, like just like the picture he sent him. Like, dude, come join me. Like, it's not like it's like Miami, like feet up on the beach, like we're partying or like we're out in L.A. hanging out with like celebrities. It's like, come to Cleveland, dude. See that gray sky? These two smokestacks. City is lit right now. There's a TGI Fridays. They got a Fuddruckers, dude. He's bundled up in a winter coat in late March, like sitting next to Skyline Chili with like the green noodles in oh. that crap on a plate. Right. Oh my God. Wearing too many scarves. And one is too many, but he has on multiple scarves. Yeah. Can men get away with scarves these days? I, I always kind of kind of wonder about not that. The, I live in Orlando, just, so I don't have to worry about it. But I'm Not the forum for you. I mean, I think, I mean, I feel like you're all worried about it, but yeah, wear a scarf. No, be you, man. Well, okay. All right. I just want to know. I, I go back to the Midwest on occasion. I, I, I if you're a soccer know, player... I'm, or you have like great cheekbones, maybe. That is true. Or like, yeah, something like that. If your name is like Tad, you could probably like get away with it, but like we'll like make fun of you behind your back. Something like that. Tad. That's that, that that's a long If you always have perfect five o'clock shadows like scruff. There you go. There you go. Just you constantly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to see it. I would love to see uh, Odell Beckham go to Cleveland and uh, reunite with, with Jarvis Landry. I think Jesus that would be Christ. an LSU. They would have better numbers in Cleveland maybe than LSU. Is that fair? No. Cleveland should just, they should, like, they shouldn't even have helmets. They should just wear fedoras because there's nothing cool about that entire city. I, I can't, I can't argue with, with no. Cleveland. All right. We will wrap up with a thank you for all you guys who have reviewed us on iTunes. We really, really appreciate it. We love all the five-star reviews, especially the five-star reviews, the four-star reviews will, will tolerate, I guess, but you'd be a lot cooler if you gave us a five-star review. A lot cooler. A lot cooler. So Five-star review, you come party with us at a Fuddruckers and an IHOP in the Cleveland suburban area for Cinco de Mayo. Nice. Fuddruckers on, on Cinco de Mayo sounds pretty good. I'm not going to lie. Lit. Yeah. So I want to read a few of these a few of these reviews that we got. Shout out to all of you who have, who have been given those. We really appreciate them. Zinger one, I think it's Zinger nine, but it's, they did the Roman numerals nine. The subject line was, how did I not know about this? Uh, question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. <laughs> smiley face. No smiley face, end quote. That's a good question. How did you not know about this, Zinger nine? And then the review was, this show is just what I've been looking for. I've been listening to those goofy guys up in the Northwest in college football podcast, and this was out there, all caps, Brady Hook. Easily the best podcast on my list. Thanks. Well, I mean, yeah, I appreciate that. It's very nice. Thank you very much. Yeah, that nice. being said, like, yeah, I mean, I don't know what kind of football they were talking on Northwest. So not about the Pac-12 because there's nothing relevant going on there right Just now. Nothing but Josh Allen stuff. So that's why we brought him in with the Josh Allen talk. You're welcome. Josh Allen so thank oh, you very much, Zinger 9. We appreciate that. Shout out to uh, 
I think this is uh, JES52989. Great podcast. SDS does a great job of touching on SEC player slash topics, past slash present. You are slash correct. Shout out to, I'll read this one, CMAR9 Roll Tide, who said, these guys are the best, especially Chris. Super wacky and funny. Great body as well. So, shout out to that guy, Seymour. It was nice of you to throw that in there. Was that a real one? No, I wrote that. Yeah, you wrote that. You definitely wrote that. I was going to say that. Yeah. Just like in front of me on my desk. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I have affirmations I read every day, so. Oh, boy. Uh, this, this one was good, too. From T. Watkins 14. Great podcast. SDS has the most unbiased SEC coverage, and I love their podcast. Highly recommended. I don't know. I, so, the unbiased thing. I think that was just for our coverage, but in terms of the podcast, they didn't say that that was unbiased too. Right. So we shouldn't critique. We shouldn't give reviews to the reviews. That's a good. Well, no, no, I'm saying reviewing us. Do people know that like, you know, because they could say that you're biased, you're a Bama fan, but like. That's because you bring it up all the time. I do bring it up all the time. I do bring it up all the time. It, it would come up organically. Throw me under the bus. Yeah, no, I apologize. I'm the Yankee, you're the Bama fan, whatever. I'll read this one last one from friend for dolphin I like that name. I'm sorry, what? Friend for Dolphin, the numeral four. I bought a couch off Craigslist from that guy. Did you really? No. Oh. I never know when you're serious or not. Uh, Friend for Dolphin says, as a college football fan and an SEC fan, this podcast covers all the teams and gives insights to the casual fan as well as the diehard fan. We get updates for all the teams as well as analysis. I will be a fan as long as they will be around and continues to do stellar work. So... Just saying, our bosses keep yeah, us around. Yeah, we'll strap in for the long haul, brother, because yeah. that's all we do here. Exactly. Hey, it's the offseason. We're still going to be coming at you with podcasts every single week. That is what we do. Yeah, keep keep those reviews coming. We like those reviews. Follow us on Twitter, at the SDS pod. We like to tweet things that basically make fun of Marler. That's pretty yeah. much the, the main purpose of it. And a lot of good Butch Jones gifts, if I don't say so myself. So. Yeah. Next week, we'll be uh, live from the Masters, doing the podcast there. That is a total... False statements, but if anyone has tickets and wants to give them to us, yeah, I would love, I would love to do that. So let us know. Just as good as a five star view, pair of masters. Yeah, right. Send those out. We appreciate you guys listening, and remember that it might mean too much. It might mean too much. You know it. Y'all have a great week. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week.